Have you ever been in a situation where you just feel really out of control? Like um, you're just trying to regain some sense of familiarity or a sense of normal. I could use a really obvious example from the past year, but I'm a little bit tired of talking about the pandemic. So I'll give you another example instead first, because um, I'm sure we'll end up talking about the pandemic at some point as we inevitably do. Um, so like, for example, me and uh, Ben, whenever we've been on any like big holidays for like two weeks and you go away and you leave your house uh, and uh, when we get back, I always feel a little bit out of sorts. Like I'm a bit of a home bird. I really like my house. I like it feeling a certain way. Uh, and it's like smells a bit weird because no one's been in it for two weeks. And uh, like, it's a bit cold and a bit like, oh, no one's been here. So to try and get like back into sorts, like get back to normal, like, feel in control again of the situation because feeling I'm always feeling overwhelmed at that point and obviously sad because you, your big holiday's over it's all all back to work and everything um, what I like to do is I like to clean and Ben absolutely loves this as you can imagine particularly when we're horrendously jet lagged is um, scrubbing the house from top to bottom and I often will like focus in on really specific details like I've never noticed how much lime scale there is on the taps uh, and so that is what I do to try and get some kind of sense of control over the situation and to be like, okay, it's okay. I feel at home again. I feel like I, you know, I'm controlling my environment so everything's okay. It doesn't matter that the holiday is over. It doesn't matter that, um, you know, the house feels a bit weird and not as homely as it did a couple of weeks ago. Or um, like over the past year, um, during the pandemic, and when we were all in lockdown, uh, Ben and I got into a bit of it. We all picked up like funny little habits and routines, didn't we? And, and Ben and I uh, started watching loads more TV than we ever had done previously. So I got into this habit and expectation that I'm like entitled to watch several hours of Netflix every single night, which is just not like reality. So now that everything's coming back and we're socializing with people and when now we try and make plans, I'm like, oh, if we see those people that night, when will I get to watch Netflix for three hours? Like some kind of roll dial cautionary tale. Um, so it's just funny, isn't it? The way that we like build these habits and now it's like, I'm a little bit scared to let go of that routine and that sense of normal and that sense of control and being like, oh, this is like, this is what my life looks like. And as long as it looks like this, everything's okay. I know what life looks like and I know who I am and what I'm doing. If I can watch that much TV a night and if my house is clean a certain way after I get back from holidays. I wonder what yours are. I wonder what your, the things that you do that where you're like, I just get this. Like I feel in control. I know what I'm doing. This is my normal. What routines do you have? What um, habits do you have? Maybe it's really good stuff. Like I'm not saying this is a bad thing, like cleaning or cooking. It might be things that you've picked up during the last year, or it might be things that you've been doing for years, like going for a run, uh, like meeting up with certain people, a certain relationship that you go back to time and again, conversation that you really crave, uh, certain foods. It could, it could be so many different things. It might even be that you're the kind of person who like is like, oh no, I, I love new stuff and I'm always moving forward. That's actually a normal uh, default. That's a, that's a way that you try and regain control of a situation. You're like, well, I'm always the kind of person who's like, let's keep moving forward. That attitude is a default. That attitude is a way of trying to regain control and trying to make normal out of a situation which doesn't feel controllable, which feels new, which feels unfamiliar, where you're just like, I don't know what the hell to do. So actually I'm just gonna, 
revert back to my default. I'm going to go back to type. I'm going to do the thing that I know um, because I don't know how to live in this new world. Well, I want to introduce you to a group of guys who are doing exactly the same thing. Because maybe that's what you're doing right now. Maybe the return out of the pandemic um, for you is like, you're kind of trying to do that. You're trying to fit together old routines and new routines. You're trying to reconcile lockdown life and post-pandemic life. Or it could be something actually um, beyond the pandemic. It could be different routines in terms of work. It could be new jobs, all sorts of different things. So I want to introduce you to those guys and we can meet them in John chapter 21. Um, so would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21? So, John chapter 21. Afterwards. Let's just pause there for a second. So, afterwards, what John is referring to is after a whole raft of events that I'll just give you a quick catch up on. Now, the book of John is in the New Testament, in case you've not come across it before. Uh, and John was one of the disciples of Jesus. So he's actually, interestingly, he's in this scene. He's recounting it from memory. And if you want to find out more about who Jesus is, if you've never read the Bible before, you've never uh, watched or been uh, part of a church before, I'd really recommend you watch the last three talks from the past few weeks that Ben, Dan and Luke did about uh, taking us through the book of John and introducing us to the character of Jesus. Or you can just read the book of John in your own time. I would highly recommend it. Um, but what John is referring to when he says afterwards is that um, Jesus has died. Um, the, the Jesus, who is the son of God, he has been killed uh, by the state, executed uh, by crucifixion, and then he has been raised from the dead. So it's pretty earth shattering events. He's uh, met Mary Magdalene uh, by his tomb uh, in the garden. And then um, he's also appeared to his disciples twice. His disciples are his followers um, who are a, a group of people, some of whom are named, and there's a, there's a wider group of, uh, as well. Uh, he's met them twice by entering a locked room, walking through the walls, from what we can tell, and showing them the scars of his crucifixion. So like, pretty amazing, again, like earth-changing, mind-bending events that these guys have been through. So this has all happened to these guys already, probably about a week or so before, from what we can tell, from what John has told us. So afterwards, back to John 21, Jesus appeared again to his disciples, his followers. It was by the Sea of Galilee and it happened this way. And this is the moment where if this was a TV show like in the 90s, it would go all blurry and go and we would get like the flashback moment because this is how John is recounting this from memory, the, the writer. And just to note as well from verse one, uh, it's by the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee comes up quite a bit in the in the life and the story of Jesus. The Sea of Galilee was the place where he first called the disciples. So he first called quite a few of his followers, namely Simon Peter, Andrew, James and John. So if you go to Luke 5, which is a little bit earlier on in the New Testament, you can see that um, Jesus, that's the time when he first called them. So um, let's just dip into that now and I'll give you a quick overview of it. Then we can understand a bit more of the context uh, of, um, of this passage of John 21. So uh, it says, uh, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, but if you look at the footnotes, that is the Sea of Galilee. Um, the crowd, people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. 
and he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And Jesus gets into one of the boats, the one that belongs to Simon, and asks him to put out a little from the shore. And then Jesus sits down in the boat and he teaches the people, the crowd of people who are pressing in and desperate to hear from this guy, Jesus, who's just appeared on the sea and is saying the most amazing and wonderful things and teaching like they've never heard before. Jesus arrives at the Sea of Galilee and Galilee's like this absolute nowhere place. It's not like fancy like York or interesting. It's like kind of nowhere on nowhere street, nowhere lane. Um, so it's like um, a pretty like backwards place. Uh, but Jesus arrives there and he um, is preaching to people and he goes up to Simon and asks to use his boat. He preaches to the crowds and then afterwards he says to Simon Peter, like, why don't you go and why don't we go out and fish? And Simon Peter's like, well, firstly, we don't fish like, during the day. That wasn't a typical thing. He usually did it at night. And he says, we've worked hard all night, master. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So Simon Peter goes out on a bit of a whim. He's heard this amazing guy preach. And he's like, well, do you know what? Like, why not give it another try? We'll let down the nets. Like, what's the harm in trying? But we've just had a really bad night of fishing. So they go and um, they catch this miraculous, amazing, huge, unexpected amount. Um, and they know that it's Jesus that has caused them to do so. And so Simon Peter falls at Jesus's feet and he's like, oh, I'm not like, you must be some holy man. You must be from God. Like, this is an absolute miracle. Like, like I can't even be around you because you're so amazing. And Jesus is like, hey, I know there's been this amazing catch of fish, but follow me instead. Like, Come with me and I will make you fishers of men. And that marks the beginning of Simon Peter and James and John and Andrew. Uh, they, that group of disciples, that core group, um, that marks the, the change of their lives. They leave everything behind. And, and fishing would have been like their plan for the rest of their lives, their livelihood. It would have been all that they knew. They would have been doing it for decades. Their fathers would have done it. They would have learned that trade from their fathers. And that would have been the expectation for their lives. That would have been the most familiar thing. So it's also pretty rare that they would have had a really bad night of fishing because these guys were skilled. They knew what they were doing. For them not to catch even one is, is really quite something. And then for them to be caught out like that, for Jesus to say, put your nets out again, try again. And for them to be like, well, I'm pretty sure it's not going to work. They knew what they were talking about. They knew fishing and they left all of that behind to follow Jesus and to become his disciples. What a radical life-changing event and, and, and a moment for them, which then they then follow Jesus for the next three years and then they see him die on the cross and then they see him raised from the dead, which is where we find ourselves in John 21. So John 21, after Jesus has come back from the dead, they're back at the Sea of Galilee. That's pretty weird. So they've been through this whole like amazing thing. They've all been in Jerusalem. They've watched Jesus die. They've seen him come back from the dead. Like, that would pretty much change your, like, plans for the next day, wouldn't it? Like, but they go back home. They go back to their parents' houses, like, tail between their legs. Like, they're like, well, we don't, we don't know what to do next. We don't have a sense of direction now because we've seen our friend executed and then come back from the dead. We've left everything that we knew before. We left everything that was familiar and normal. We've left behind those habits and those routines and those places and those people that we knew and we felt in control of. We left all of that behind to follow Jesus. But now he's kind of gone. Not only did he die, which was traumatic enough, but now he's back. 
but then he's disappeared again. Like, what do we do with that information? He hasn't given us a sense of direction. He hasn't given us an instruction manual for what you do when your friend comes back from the dead and it turns out he's God. What do they do next? What direction do they go in? So we are by the Sea of Galilee because where do they go? Where do you go when you don't know what to do next? Where do you go when you don't feel like you're in control? Where do you go when you feel like you just need to cling on to something unfamiliar? You go back to that place. You go back to that routine. You go back to that habit. You go back to that relationship. And these guys go back to the Sea of Galilee. They go back home. And what happens next? So Simon Peter, Thomas, who was also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, um, that's James and John, so John who's writing this from memory, and two other disciples, who John seemingly doesn't want to name, were together. um, Verse three, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Also, how weird that they're going back out to fish. Like, I wonder what it was. Maybe they were like, well, we're going to have to get back into fishing then since the whole disciple thing didn't work out. Um, Like, is it that they're just trying to cling to some kind of normality? Is it that they're just like, do you know what? When you don't know what to do, like, do what you know. Do what you feel like you're good at. Do the thing that you feel like you can do in your own strength. Like, don't really need a miracle. We don't really need Jesus to be able to fish because I was doing that for decades before he'd arrived. So let's go back to trying that thing out. But they go out and they catch nothing. Can you imagine the disappointment as the sun comes up early in the morning as we reach verse four? The sun's coming up over the waves of the Sea of Galilee. And this group of guys who are sticking with the people that they know, they're sticking with the thing that they know, they're trying to hold on to something which feels like they can control, that they know how to do this, that attitude of like, well, keep moving forward, guys. Whatever it is, they're clinging on to it and they catch nothing, not even one fish. The time when they really need just like a little win, like a bit of motivation where they're just like, We don't know what we're doing with our lives anymore. We don't know where to head next. They don't catch a thing. How gutting. And I bet they'd fallen out because you know when you've had a really bad day at work, usually you end up falling out with someone. So they've probably like fallen out with each other. The resentment, the exhaustion of having been up all night and like being like, come on guys, I think this is the time and heaving in the nets and it's like, no. And then throwing out again and trying again and no, nothing. So like the disappointment, the frustration, the tiredness, the resentment. I wonder if you know what that feels like. I wonder if you've had a really bad day fishing recently. Maybe it's just a really bad time at work at the minute. Maybe there's just a lot of upheaval and change in your life. Maybe it's linked to pandemic. Maybe it's got nothing to do with it. Maybe you've had a bad day fishing in your relationships. Maybe you're in a marriage where it feels like your spouse is less interested in changing or becoming a better person than when you, before you started praying for them and try, was trying to be a better person yourself. Maybe you're struggling with your kids and with parenting. Maybe it just feels like I'm just having this bad day fishing. I'm just throwing out my nets and I'm just getting nothing back. I keep trying. I keep trying to do this. I keep trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to do something to make everything normal. I'm trying to do something to at least get some control over the situation or do the right thing. And I'm just getting nothing back. I wonder what your bad day of fishing 
is right now. Could be years of bad fishing, years of um, getting nothing back or weeks or even just days. That's where these guys are at. But there is a verse four and there um, is something that Jesus has to say to them. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. Just picture the scene now. I think this is an amazing moment. It's really epic. So through that early morning, like sea mist, there's a figure stood on the shore at sunrise, just on their own. How mysterious. And these guys don't recognise it. Maybe because of the mist, maybe because maybe Jesus looked a little bit different after he was raised from the dead. We don't know. But either way, he stood on the shore waiting and watching at sunrise. Maybe it's a little bit frustrating that Jesus didn't stop them, I suppose, going out fishing in the first place, because he obviously knows where to find them. Like Jesus is all knowing uh, and he's sovereign. So um, he knows exactly where to find them. So wherever you're at, it's okay. He doesn't wait for them to be in the temple or um, like praying or like in a really good place or um, just like, oh, we know exactly what to do next. Like he meets them in a place where they're trying to do things in their own strength. They're trying to just do something rather than nothing. They're trying to reassert control over their situation and over their lives. They're even trying to actually relive their old lives without Jesus. And that's where he meets them. Jesus knows exactly where you are at. He's not waiting for you, like tapping his foot and folding his arms and rolling his eyes and thinking, come on, like, Get into the right mindset, get the right attitude, get to the right place and then I'll meet you. Jesus is ready to meet you now. Jesus is ready to give you that direction that you're seeking, to give you the answers about what's next, to to help you find what your calling is and to help you figure out how do I live in this new world? How do I live in the space of this relationship? How do I live in the space of post-pandemic world? How do I live in the space of this new job? How do I live just carrying on and reconcile my old life and my new life when things have changed so much for me recently? Jesus is ready to meet you now and to give you direction. Verse five, Jesus calls out to them, friends, isn't Jesus nice? Friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. I like to think, because they haven't recognised him, probably being a bit rude. (laughs) They're like, well, no, like, thanks for asking though. Um, And he says next, um, Jesus says, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. That's bold. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Does this sound familiar? This is like a replaying of Luke chapter five. This is a replay for these guys of the same situation that happened to them when they first met Jesus. So not only does he know where they're at now, but he also knows like that they're trying to relive their past. And he reminds them that it's under his provision. He reminds them that that's where they flourish, that that's who they've become. He meets them where they're at, even though they're trying to relive some old life. And he shows them who they've become by replaying that miracle for them, by giving them another miraculous catch of fish. And he provides them in that place not to gloat. He's not like, 
have you got any fish? Ha ha, you haven't. He's like, friends, have you any fish? And they're like, no. So before they even know who he is, he provides for them. And I think what's interesting as we're thinking this week about Jesus giving direction, Jesus says to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. These guys are really seasoned fishermen. They're not going to be like, oh yeah, we hadn't thought about throwing it on the right side. We've just been throwing it on the left for the last 12 hours. Like, that's not going to be the case. So it's not that they were doing it wrong before, but they weren't doing it in his presence and under his direction and his authority. So what you've been doing for however long, for however many years, for however many weeks, however many hours, it isn't necessarily wrong cleaning the taps so you can reassert some control over your life or watching hours of TV so you can reassert some sense of normality over your life isn't wrong, but you're not doing it under his authority and his direction. And actually, there might be something that Jesus is directing you to do and you don't even know that it's him. It seems like it's coming from an unknown figure on the shore that you don't even recognise because it seems really weird. It's something that you've been doing for ages. It seems really pointless. It seems a little bit daft for someone to ask you to do that. But it might be Jesus. It might be him saying, throw your net out on the right side of the boat because you'll find some fish. Revisit that relationship. Revisit that conversation. Try again. Keep praying for your spouse. Keep praying for your kids. Keep talking to them about that issue. Keep coming to church. Keep showing up to small group. Keep trying to connect with me. What is it that you need to throw your net out again for? What is the direction that you feel like you're getting from somewhere? But it might be Jesus. And notice these guys are all with each other as well. So they're all with people who also know Jesus. So you can, if you're feeling like it's something that's really like big, um, it's a really big decision, check out with other people who know Jesus and be like, hey, do you recognise Jesus? Do you think this is Jesus instructing me from the shore? Like, that's okay. That's a really wise way to do that kind of thing, to discern what we feel like Jesus is directing us to do. So moving on to verse seven. Then the disciples, so this is after they're hauling, as they're hauling in the fish, imagine the fish like splashing around in the chaos. The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's just the way John refers to himself. I think it's because he's like, oh my life, Jesus loves me. Like God loves me. So not because like John is saying that Jesus didn't love anyone else because that isn't the case. He explicitly says that elsewhere. Um, but the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. See, they would have, um, it's like taking off your coat to do hard labour, like they wouldn't have worn like all the garments and all the different layers uh, for fishing. Uh, So Peter puts on his clothes and then jumps into the sea. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. Thanks for your help, Peter. For they were not far from shore, about 100 metres. So Peter's like running through the water, like desperate to get there. And if you've ever tried to run in water, you know how stupid he would have looked. Verse nine, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish in it and some bread. So Jesus has set up a little morning picnic for everyone. I don't know what priorities anyone else would have when they come back from the dead, but like waiting for some motley crew of guys who are trying to reclaim some kind of control over their lives, uh, making a picnic for them and then performing a miracle for them. Just that small group is, um, is pretty nice of Jesus. That really tells us something about his character. 
So Jesus said to them, verse 10, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Just pause for a second. Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So these guys have been out all night. They've not caught anything. Like without Jesus, they have no fish, no miracle, no picnic, no nothing. And um, Jesus is like, hey, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Jesus gives them credit for um, catching the fish when it was him who provided them in the first place. And again, I just want to say that in the context of Jesus giving us direction, he invites us into the process and invites us to bring whatever little we have. You don't have to have some amazing contribution to bring to him or some amazing prayer to say to him. He invites you to bring whatever you have, even if he gave it to you in the first place, which actually is the case for everything that you have. Jesus says, hey, bring some of the fish that you just caught. Come and join in. Come and make breakfast with me. Like, you don't need to impress me. Like, I get where you're from. I get the kind of night that you've just had. I get the way that you're feeling. Come and bring what you have just caught. He gives them credit for it. He invites us to join in the process. So when we're seeking direction from Jesus, he invites us to join in. He invites us to bring whatever we have into that. Verse 11, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged their net ashore and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. It wasn't too much for them. He gives them more than they could imagine, but not so much that their nets are torn. Verse 12, Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So it's the third time that he's um, met them. So it doesn't matter whether you are someone who's never met Jesus before at all and you're seeking direction from him or from somewhere else, or maybe you have met Jesus. Maybe you know that he has been raised from the dead. Maybe you have this living relationship with Jesus, but you're like, I just need clarity. I just need to understand what to do next in that relationship, in that job, in this decision. When we're seeking direction from Jesus, it can be all things. It could be seeking answers to questions that we've got that just are stirring in us, that we just feel unsettled about and we feel a lack of peace about. It doesn't matter where you're at. Jesus isn't like, oh, well, if you know me really well and you've seen loads of miracles of mine, then actually uh, you, you can't just come and sit and eat breakfast with me. You can't seek simple answers. You can't seek direction from me. Wherever you are at in that full spectrum of faith, you are invited to sit with Jesus, to be served by him, to be nourished by him, to bring what you have to the table, even if he's the one who provided it with the, um, you with it in the first place. And he wants to give you that direction. When we seek direction, often we're like looking for like a sat nav. We just want like a list of instructions because we're scared of getting it wrong. We're scared of maybe what it looks like to do it right. But actually Jesus says, no, let me provide for you miraculously. Or maybe it's in a more mundane way, like having breakfast together. Maybe it's just the fact that I put breath in your lungs and the fact that you woke up this morning. Maybe it's in a miraculous way in healing or a relational restoration. And then he says, bring what you have to the table. And then he moves on to reinstate Peter. We can learn a little bit more about how he forgives us and he loves us in the context of giving us direction. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I think he means these guys who are like Peter's best friends, his, his brothers. Um, and he's saying like, do you love me more than anything else? And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, before we move on to this bit, to the next part uh, where Jesus tells Peter about um, what it looks like uh, to feed his lambs, to feed his sheep, what the calling that Jesus is giving him actually looks like. Um, you, you might be wondering like why Jesus asks Peter so many times and maybe he just feels like he's kind of nagging him a little bit. But actually, as they sit round the fire together, Jesus is reminding Peter of the time a matter of weeks ago when Peter sat round a fire at Jesus's trial for his death. And Peter denies Jesus three times. He says, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know the guy. I'm not associated with him. He denies him completely. And that is such an embarrassing and shameful thing for Peter. You you saw how Peter was running through the water and he's desperate to get to Jesus. He's desperate to reconcile with him. And he's just like, I just, I don't know what to do next. I'm out fishing. I can't even do that anymore. And I feel that's the one thing that I could do without you. And it turns out I can't even do that without you anymore. Like, Where else can I go is what he says to Jesus elsewhere in the Gospels. So Peter's denied Jesus and and Peter made some big claims as well. In front of the whole group, he was like, even if all these guys leave you, Jesus, I'll stick with you. I'll die for you. I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. And he does when Jesus is at his most vulnerable, when Jesus is completely alone. Peter denies even knowing him. And so they sat around the fire, just like Peter was when he denied Jesus that night, the night of uh, Jesus's trial and then execution. And Jesus reminds him of this, but he's not doing it in like a in a guilt tripping way. He's saying like, yeah, I know that you love me. Just like we heard about the other week in Dan's talk. Jesus's questions aren't because Jesus is like, hmm, I wonder if you do love me. Jesus knows that Simon Peter loves him, but he wants to um, reframe that moment of failure for Peter into a moment of reinstating him, of of calling him forward, of calling him to leadership. And when Jesus says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep, this is massive. This is Peter, this is Jesus saying, I am this, I am the shepherd of all of those who believe in me and all of those who follow me. And actually he's asking Peter into into that position of being a shepherd, of, of leading those who follow Jesus. He's calling him to lead the church. This is huge. This is like he's giving him like a fresh calling and purpose and he's reinstating him. And so in the context of of Peter wanting that direction and being like, I'm just desperate to know what's next. I'm running through the water. I'm, you know, sat desperate to sit next to you by the fire and eat breakfast with you. And, and I want you to tell me what to do next, Jesus. And I don't know what I'm doing anymore. And I can't do anything without you. Or maybe he just can't do anything and he doesn't know whether it's about Jesus or not. And Jesus says to him, do you love me? And in the context of that love and in the context of Jesus forgiving Peter and healing Peter, that's when he gives direction. That's when he gives direction about his calling, about what Peter needs to do next, about what the rest of Peter's life looks like. He doesn't say, well, first, please go to this place and then go to that place and then speak to this person. He doesn't give him sat nav instructions, but he says, feed my lambs, lead my people. 
serve my people, take care of them, take care of those who believe in me. That's the calling that I'm giving you. So that direction comes, but it comes in the context of love. And the reason Jesus does it in this question and answer way of saying, do you love me? Is because I think he, I think he wants us to remember and he wants Peter to remember that following Jesus's directions should be done out of love for him, not out of fear, not out of coercion, not because we're scared of doing something else, but because we love Jesus. So actually, if you're seeking direction from Jesus and you're seeking that clarity about your purpose and your calling and what you're supposed to do next and how you're supposed to grow in your faith and you don't really know how to to get your life back on track, start to love Jesus. Work out what it means to love Jesus right now in this moment. So after this conversation, Jesus then goes on to tell tell Peter about the kind of death that Peter is going to glorify Jesus by, is how John terms it. So this calling that Jesus gives him, the, the direction that he gives Peter, he tells him about the cost of that. It means Peter laying down his life literally to follow Jesus and to lead Jesus's people and to lead those who believe in him. That's pretty big. But the thing I want us to hone in on is that final part of verse 19, where Jesus says to Simon Peter, follow me. Despite the cost, despite all the things that he's just told him about, he invites him again, just like he did when he first met Simon Peter on the first day when he got into Simon Peter's boat in Luke 5 and he preaches to the crowds and he asks him to throw out his nets and then he invites him to be a fisher of people. He says, follow me. He reminds Peter who he's been called to be. So if you're seeking direction in your life, I think this is the thing that sums it all up. If you're seeking direction, Jesus says, follow me. And yeah, that's not really specific. But I think whenever we're looking for, what do I do next, Jesus? How do I make this decision? Think about Jesus saying to you, follow me. What does it look like to follow Jesus in all the decisions of your life? What does it look like to wake up in the morning and be like, how can I follow Jesus today? Moment by moment, how can I shape my my life around following Jesus? Because that's the way to life in all its fullness. Jesus says, follow me. And that can summarise all the direction. That summarises all the direction that Jesus Jesus gives to his disciples and to us. So just to recap, if you are seeking direction from somewhere or maybe it's from Jesus and I hope it is from Jesus because he is the way and the truth and the life. This is what it looks like to seek direction from Jesus. It comes in the context of Jesus waiting for us, his patience, waiting for us on the shore. It might come from an unexpected place. It might be he's asking you to do something that you've done before, something that feels really pointless or feels a bit silly but you throw your net out anyway. Just because it could be Jesus, there might be something to catch. It also comes in the context of Jesus's provision. So Jesus wants to provide for you. He wants to provide for you in the miraculous and in the everyday by cooking you breakfast, but also by healing, by relationship restoration, by miraculous catches of fish in amazing ways. It also comes in Jesus's nourishment. He wants to nourish your soul. He wants to sit and spend time with you and have breakfast with you. It needs to come in the context of his love, 
He loves us and us loving him. He wants to give his direction and us to follow them because we love him, not because we're scared of doing something else or because we're fearful or because it's just the right thing to do. Let's learn how to love Jesus and let's get to know him so that we can love him more. And then it also comes in the context of his forgiveness. He wants to forgive us, to call us forward, to reinstate us just like he does for Peter. And then he gives that direction to Peter. He gives that calling, not as a result of Peter's great behaviour, but because um, he's able to do all those good things in the fullness of relationship with the disciples. He gives them that direction. So I hope that really encourages you. And so if you are seeking direction, whether it's about a particular decision or whether it's just about what on earth to do with your life next, how to fit everything in. Let's offer this all up to Jesus in prayer. And maybe later this week, you want to reread John 21 and remember the context in which Jesus gives direction and the way he wants to love you and provide for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you give us direction for our lives. Thank you that when we are floundering, when we are trying to get some kind of control back and make things feel normal for ourselves, you step in and you appear to us and meet us where we're at. Jesus, I pray over everyone listening and watching here today, that they would know your patience as you wait for them and meet them where they're at, your provision in the miraculous and in the everyday. They'd know your comfort and your nourishment for them and that you just wanna spend time with them and cook breakfast for them. That they'd know your forgiveness and your love as you heal them, as you reinstate them and as you call them um, to new purposes for their lives. And I pray that you would direct them, Jesus, that you would give them clarity in the context of your love and that you would grow their love for you, Jesus, each day, today and over the next few weeks and for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.